And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I actually thought I had preached on this passage before, and I realized I've really only talked about it during funerals. I've never really used it as on a Sunday morning. So we're going to look at a passage in 2 Timothy about, about moms and uh, actually grandmoms as well. A uh, guy by the name of Lord Schatzberg said this. He said, give me a generation of Christian mothers, and I'll undertake to change the whole face of society in 12 months. And there's a lot of truth to a statement like that, that you can really make a difference. Moms really make a difference in a, in a culture and in a society and in a world. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background, and it will give you some understanding for the passage we read this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of 2 Timothy, and 2 Timothy, of course, is Paul writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last book of the Bible that Paul writes before he dies. So that's the, that's the book of the Bible that says, I fought a good for, fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. In 2 Timothy, he's really writing his last, he writes two letters to Timothy, this is the last one that he writes. Paul has had a unique experience in his life in that he has gone around ministering to all kinds of churches. He finds himself when he writes 2 Timothy in prison, but it's different than any other imprisonment he's had before. And let me explain a couple things to you. When Paul, Paul's first imprisonment is an example. When Paul was in prison the first time, it was kind of like house arrest. We would think of it today as an ankle monitoring system. He could only go so far. They monitored his movements. It wasn't a dungeon kind of thing. It was a house arrest kind of thing. And so in, whoa, in uh, Timothy, in uh, his first imprisonment, he's in a house arrest kind of thing. At that time, you have to understand, in the Roman culture, they had to figure out what to do with Christianity. And they weren't sure what to do with Christianity. So when, when people became Christians early and this whole Christian church started, Rome didn't know what to do with it. So here's what Rome did. They said, we're not sure about this religion called Christian, Christianity or Christians. We know that they believe some of the same things Jewish people believe. So we're going to make Christianity a subset or a section underneath Judaism. So in the Roman system, a religion had to be approved. And in the Roman system, the Jewish religion was approved religion. It was a religion that would not be prosecuted or persecuted. So under the Roman system, the Jewish religious system was okay. When they said Christians are now a subset of Judaism, what that meant was Christians could go ahead and worship as well because they were an approved religion, if you will. What happened was in the course of the Roman Empire, as different emperors came in, by the time we get to Nero, First of all, the Jews aren't excited about Christians being a subset because Christians are teaching, are converting people from Judaism. They're like, whoa, whoa we don't want to be a part of that. They're taking people away from us. So the Jews didn't want them that. The Romans weren't sure what to do with them, but when, particularly when Nero came along and Rome burnt and he blamed the Christians, all of a sudden now Christians were no longer a legal religion. Therefore, you have a religious system now that's persecuted and prosecuted. When Paul is in prison the second time, he falls under that kind of Rome. 
And in that kind of Rome, he does not find himself in house arrest. He finds himself in a dungeon, in a prison. He finds himself, basically, what's going to happen after 2 Timothy is Paul's going to be, historically, we believe he was beheaded. He was executed uh, because of his belief. So it's a very different kind of imprisonment the second time. So he finds himself in prison. He's going to write to Timothy, and he decides to address some things with Timothy. Now, let's understand some things about Timothy. Timothy is a young man. He's a pastor in a church in a town called Ephesus. Um, He has traveled with Paul for a long time. Timothy was saved in, or Timothy was saved in Lystra. He, when Paul gets to Lystra, they're, they're amazed at his ability, and Paul wants to take him on a journey with him. Uh, there was a problem. Timothy is, his mother is Jewish, his father is Greek. So he was like a half-breed, really. And Paul was ministering to Jews and to Greeks, and that created a little bit of a problem. So Paul, has, Paul is introduced to him and, and, and does some things. One of the things that he does is he comes to Timothy, and, he, and, and Paul wants Timothy to go with him. The people say, Timothy's a great guy. Let him go with you. So in the course of that, what happens is Timothy gets ready to go with Paul, but because Timothy was half Jew and half Greek, he wasn't circumcised. So Paul says, look, if you're going to follow me, Jewish people are going to have a problem with this. So he has them circumcised, and then they, do, they go off on their travel thing. When we look at the life of Timothy and Paul together, here's what you find. They go to a number of places together. They go to Galatia. They go to Berea. He sends him to a city called Thessalonica. And actually, Timothy goes there and helps him with some problems. When Paul sends him to Corinth, and Timothy is in Corinth for a little while, and he goes with Paul all the way to Athens. So that's important for this reason. When you look at Timothy in the Bible, here's what you need to understand. Most of the books in your Bible that are written to churches are places Timothy has either ministered or pastored. So the book that you have in your Bible, Ephesians, was written to the church at Ephesus. Timothy was a pastor there. The book of the Bible that you have, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Timothy had gone to the church at Thessalonica and helped them there. That's who that book was written to. Uh, The book that you have, Galatians. Timothy had ministered with Paul in the whole Galatia area. The book Galatians is written to those Galatian churches. And And it was a circular kind of letter. So Timothy had been there. The book in the Bible that you have of 1 Corinthians, Timothy had been with Paul to Corinth, and they had ministered there in Corinth. The book of the Bible that you have Romans, Paul, had, or Paul, was with Tim, Paul and Timothy were together at Athens. So even in that book, Timothy had been to most of these places. The reason I say this is important is in your New Testament, we all know how important Paul is. We don't think about the influence Timothy had in all of those places that are books in your New Testament. And Timothy was a young guy. So Paul had really adopted Timothy as the guy, if you will, to take over as Paul leaves this earth. 
And he really looks at him as a son in the faith. So with that background in mind, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm now persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Those of you who are familiar with King James, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So Paul writes this passage here to Timothy, and this is kind of where our focus is going to be as, as we look at it this morning. Notice he looks at Timothy as a son. He says, Timothy, my son. We don't know a lot about Timothy's dad. We do know that he was a Greek. Um, we're told that in Acts chapter 16. We know that his mother was Eunice and his grandmother was Lois. So he had been brought up with a Jewish background with a father who was Greek. Now, one of the things that, that we need to understand is how the Jewish system worked and how the Roman system worked at that time. Let's talk about family. Culturally, here's what happened. In this culture, the father was responsible to train the child. That, but depending on which culture you were in, that started at different times. In the Roman world, when a child turns seven, the father really took over the responsibility of training that child. Most children in the Roman culture really didn't even learn to read until seven. Uh, some, some people would start teaching them as early as five. But again, it was the moms who would teach up until seven. Everybody follow me? Kind of at seven, dad took over. And then dad was responsible for the education of that child. In the Jewish system, that was more like about five or six. So in a Jewish world, mom kind of took over, would give them up to about five or six, and then dad, then it was dad. And of course, in our culture, we have more of a matriarchal kind of system, so really moms have a, a bigger influence in our system uh, than they do in, in previous kind of cultures. In fact, it's interesting to me. Have you ever seen any of these shows about people in jail? And have you ever noticed that you take the most hardened criminal in the world and you bring mom in and nine times out of ten he's a basket case? It's because of the influence that a mom has on a child in our, in our culture. And so moms, don't minimize the influence. You know, raising two boys, I know this. There are times that they would not listen to me, but rarely would they not listen to her. And partly because she had a way of saying it that was much different than mine. 
and she knew the way to get to the heart of the issue as a mom. And so, but what you need to see here is that in, in, in this culture, that's kind of the way that it worked. And so, in this thing, notice it, you've, got, you've got Lois is the grandmother, Eunice is, is his mom. They were Jews, but they weren't super devout Orthodox Jews. You say, how do you know that? And, and here's how I know it. Because if you'll think about it for a minute, Lois, grandmom, allows her daughter, Eunice, to marry a Greek. And you go, well, wait a minute. You know, it was, it was the kid's choice. No, not in this culture. So in this culture, grandmom kind of had to back away at some point about being a Jew and not enforce it. We also know that a child's religious heritage came through the mother in this culture. So by all rights, because she was a Jew, that's why, Tim, that's why Paul, by the way, has him circumcised. In this culture, because his mom was a Jew, he should have been circumcised. And that was going to be an issue when they traveled. So they had to, they had to deal with that. So in this culture, you have to understand that. So I, I say that they're not these like super orthodox Jews, but at some point, this is what the story tells us, Grandmother Lois gets saved, becomes a believer in Christ. And her daughter becomes a Christian. And Timothy becomes a Christian. So when Paul arrives, guess what? The people there are saying, you know, Paul, you need to think about taking this guy with you because he is an incredible young man. And Paul does. Paul does take him on the road with him. And he becomes a major player in the Bible that you and I have in the New Testament. So with that in mind, notice what he says, though, about him. Because there's a whole bunch of clues in here about it. He talks about the idea that their faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm not persuaded, lives in you also. He says, look. I'm reminded of that faith that you had. He talks about the faith of these two women. This incredible faith. In fact, in, if you go later in the book, in chapter 3, one of the things that he says is, he says, you've known the scriptures as a child. Which means that Lois and Eunice made sure this kid knew the scriptures. Was exposed to them. Kind of the Old Testament idea in, in Deuteronomy of, talking about it constantly. Moms, dads, grandparents, listen. We have to saturate our kids' lives with the Word of God. If you'll think about it for a minute, where do your kids get encouraged to do what's right? It's not happening at school. Yeah, it's not happening on TV. It's not happening on the ball field. I mean, the reality of it is they they have. And by the way, they tell us. I don't want to scare you, but the largest influencer in the life of a child is a same-sex parent. <clears throat> so, believe it or not, moms, you have the greatest influence on your daughter. Dads, you have the greatest influence on your sons. And so as you go through this, it says, look, 
I'm reminded of the sincere faith which you which first lived, which you saw in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. They were living it out in front of him constantly. And notice what kind of faith it was. What does it say? Sincere. Real. Real. Genuine. The real deal. Um, some have said that idea of sincere in the Latin thing comes from the idea of without wax. Because they would make a statue and it would get a little chip in it and they would patch it. And the problem is they'd patch it with wax and it would look good until you put it outside in the sun and then it would get hot and the wax would melt. Those of you who do cars, let me say it this way. No bondo. There's no bondo on it. It's an authentic restoration. There's no bondo on it. Um, it hasn't been filled in with putty anywhere. And that, that's the idea. And, and this idea of a sincere faith, he said, this thing is real. It's genuine. If you haven't figured it out yet, kids watch you. They are mimickers and... I would say they are magnifiers. My wife teaching gets to see all kinds of things as a teacher of kindergartners. And it's amazing. This week, I'm going to tell your story from the other day. Every day I get a kindergarten story. So some of them make Facebook, some of them don't. But the story that was of uh, Friday, is that when you were writing words? They were writing sentences. They were taking their sight words. and they were, So she puts up on the board all the words for them to make a sentence. And they're learning phonetically how to, how to spell stuff. <clears throat> and so one of the words was you. So one of the kids wrote out you. Another word, they had to make a sentence. She had all these ten words on the board. So one of the words was you. And then one of the words was are. And then this child decided to put D-U-F. D-O, do. Oh, one of the words was do. You are do, fuss, F-I-S. You are a doofus. <clears throat> now, I don't know anything about this kid. But I'm going to tell you what. He didn't come up with that word on his own. He heard that from somewhere. He didn't hear it from my wife. And you didn't hear it in, in class. So, you know, we're down to like sports, parents, you know, friends, da da da. They're mimickers. You know, you know as well as I do. Any of you who've raised kids to teenagers, you know as well as I do. The older they get, the scarier it gets what they picked up. All the issues I'm dealing with with my two boys right now are issues that were mine that they have magnified. And we had these discussions. We had one last night with them. Uh, and and that's, that's what it is. That's what happens. Why? I used to tell, uh, my background is uh, for three years I worked in camp work. We had a year-round camp, and what we do is in, in the summers, we had kids who would come up from Chicago and Milwaukee and, and Rockford and those areas, and we would have them for a week. We'd bring in a set of college kids. We'd train them on how to counsel kids for, for the summer. We'd have the same counselors all summer long. And we would work with these counselors to teach these kids. And we'd have, on the average, about 175, 250 kids every week. 
one of the things that we would emphasize with our counselors is these kids are these kids are watching you. These kids, believe it or not, will even watch you sleep. They will watch you constantly. So when we would have a counselor that would start to get irate or upset or start to lose his cool, uh, Bruce and I, Bruce was the other director, Bruce and I would walk up, we'd, we'd just put our arm on our, uh, on our shoulder or something like that, and we'd say, remember the microscope. And it was a subtle way to be able to tell our counselors, look, these kids are watching, they're going to magnify what you do. And if you lose your cool here, then they're going to think it's okay to lose your cool. And it was a reminder. I, I would say the same thing to us as parents, as grandparents. Remember the microscope. They're watching. Have you ever noticed this at work? Have you ever noticed that everybody else can swear and cuss like a sailor? But you let one word slip. And everybody's talking about it. You know why? Because you're under a microscope. You know why? Because they're watching and listening. Don't think you don't have... If, that right there should tell you you have an influence. Because if that's all they've got to talk about, really? But that's how close they're watching. And he says here, look, they had this sincere faith that was in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm persuaded lives in Utah. Timothy was able to be brought up in a world in which he saw a faith that was real and genuine and solid and strong. That's our challenge. That's what we take into a world every single day, a faith that's real. So when everybody else wants to do it one way, we do it the way God wants us to do it. And they don't get it. But that's okay. They're not supposed to get it. But they come back to us and say, you've got to explain to me why. And we have an opportunity to glorify Christ. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, that's what I've seen in you. I've seen you, that you had this strong, incredible example in front of you. And you followed it. And then notice what he tells him to do. I, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. He said, Timothy, I want you to take what you've been given and fan it, fan it into flame is the, is the analogy. You guys have all done this. You've had a fire. And you got the fire started, and then what did you do to keep it going or to get it going? You get down, you blow on it a little bit, or you pour diesel fuel on it. Not gasoline, I learned that. There's a difference. You, you pour stuff on to, to fan it up, why, to get it going more and more. And that's what he says. He said, Timothy, I want you to take what you've learned, and I want you to make it bigger than, even, that, that, than what you saw. I want you to fan it. I want you to take that and, and fan that flame. And notice what he says. It, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. He says, look, you need to take what you've been given and you need to fan that thing up and you need to build that thing up and take that legacy that you've been handed, Timothy, and build something great on top of it. And notice what he tells him. He tells him, he says, it's a gift. It's a gift you've been given. And he goes on and he tells Timothy, again, a young man. By the way, this is the passage. Uh, Timothy's the book where it says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example of the believer. Why? Because as a young man, Timothy was, was up against some stuff. And notice what he said. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear. Timothy, don't you be afraid of what other people are going to say? 
You go and do what God wants you to do and don't worry about the rest of it because God's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. He's given you the ability, the self-discipline to be able to go, boom, this is what I'm going to go do and I'm going to go make something of my life. He talks to him about building on a legacy. Now look, some of you were brought up at the feet of godly mothers or godly grandmothers. First of all, you need to understand that's an incredible gift. You need to understand that you have been given a great treasure and a great legacy that has been passed down to you. I, I'm fortunate. I, I came from a family in which we are at least, from what I know, fourth generation plus people of uh, uh, Christians, faith people. Because as far as I know, like I say, as far as I can go back, which I knew my grandmother and one of my grandfathers. I knew both my grandmothers and one of my grandfathers. There was a strong faith there. And they taught that to my parents. And when I was brought up, my parents instilled that in me. We were brought up in the generation that basically meant if the doors of the church were open, we were there. So you didn't dare drive by the church and see a door open by accident because we'd pull in and think there was a service. We were always there. I, I, I was brought up. When, when my dad would move, when we would go to a different town, you know, how we, you know how we found a house? We found a church first. So we would actually go into an area. We would look for churches. We would find what church we were going to go to, and then we would go and look for a house so we could be close to a church. That's the world I was brought up in. By the time I got into high school, it was church and Christian school. It was the world I was brought up in. And so for me, it was a world in which I was brought up in that, and I was, I was able to instill some of those kinds of things or set those as priorities within our family. And we, we, there's an incredible legacy when you look at our family as far as, as far as faith. My wife was brought up in a home in which her mom came to Christ, and her dad came to Christ, and then her whole family came to Christ. So the, I, the issue was, for her, it was kind of a first-generation kind of thing with her family. But they had people in the family that were people that had followed Christ. But her immediate family, that was something that came later. She didn't come to Christ until she was a teenager, 16 years old. And that was only because she got to drive her mom to church. And that's how she came to Christ. So we've been able to put together, and so our kids are a product now of some of that kind of stuff. And there's an incre- and that's an incredible gift. And some of you have been given that. Let me tell you something. Thank God for that. Thank those people for having that kind of influence in your life. For some of you, you are the first generation. And you don't have that legacy behind you. No, you're, you are a... Lois, right there, who's starting that legacy. You're a, a husband and a wife who's starting that legacy for your kids and your grandkids and, and, and all the way through. But notice what he says. He says, take the gifts you've been given. Fan them, treasure them, develop them, build them, use them. And he's encouraging Timothy. He said, Timothy, look, you've been given a unique gift. Use it. Can I tell you what I get frustrated with right now in Christianity? We're not 
using the gifts we've been given. I firmly believe every one of you has a gift. You have a talent, ability, a gift, something that you can do for the kingdom of God. What would happen if every one of us this week said, I'm going to take that talent, I'm going to take that gift, I'm going to take that ability, and I'm going to do something for the kingdom of God this week. I'm going to influence somebody for the kingdom of God this week. What would happen? How about this? What happens if you come in here next week and Juanita's sitting at the piano and she goes, don't feel like playing today. So you guys are on your own. And I get up to preach and I say, you know what? Been a rough week. So we're just going to call it. Lord bless you. Have a good day. See you next week. And at the Sunday school teacher said, you know what? Hey, I'm busy. I can't spend an, an hour with kids. And a person doing the children's sermon said, nah. And the lay leader goes, eh. And the people doing communion went, eh. What would happen? See, we have what we have here because people have said, I have a gift, talent, ability, and I'm going to use it for the kingdom of God. Every sports team that your kids are on exists because somebody stepped at the plate and said, I'll coach, I'll volunteer, I'll serve. Every activity that happens at your school happens because teachers or staff or parents or people in the community step up and say, I'll do something with it. Everything happened because people volunteer. Because people say, look, I'm not real good at this, but I have this gift, this talent, this ability, this thing, and I'll use it here. When everybody starts to do that, you take what God is doing and you literally do what he tells in Timothy here, that thing flames into something huge. I get that you're tired. I get that. I get that you want more hours in a day. But you know what you do with the more hours in a day? You get more tired. I get all of that. But isn't this really about, doesn't it really boil down to what's really important? Doesn't it really boil down to, is it going to be about me or is it going to be about somebody else this week? I mean, isn't that what motherhood's all about? Can you imagine a mom who goes, nah, it's kind of about me today. Can you imagine a world in which everybody lives for themselves? By the way, for those of you who know anything about Bible prophecy, one of the judgments that's coming on this world is the Holy Spirit leaves. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, one of the things that will happen is everybody will live for themselves and themselves alone. And when that day comes, you will watch a world turn on itself. 
And, and I challenge you because he's telling Timothy, he said, Timothy, look, as I come to the end of my life, Timothy, I'm not going to be able to go on, but I'm telling you, you've been given gifts, talents, abilities, and things like that. Timothy, man, you fan them, you use them, you let God do it, and you don't worry about what people are going to think or say. You go forward with the spirit of power, love, sound mind, self-discipline. You go for what God's doing in your life. Go for it. I want to challenge you to do the same. Those of you who have been given a great heritage, build on it. Build something great on it. Those of you who you might be the first of the generation. When you think of great people in the New Testament, I doubt that you the first name that comes to mind is Lois or Eunice. But the reality of it is, because of their influence, we open a Bible with books like Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, and books like Timothy, and Thessalonians, and Corinthians, and Romans, because they sparked something in the life of a young man that took off into something great. And I just want to challenge you. So, as we go throughout the week, a couple of ideas. First thing is the idea that, look, you take... And develop within your world a solid kind of faith that's real. You take the gifts and the legacy that you've been given. Treasure it, value it, fan it in a flame, do something great with it. So many of you underestimate your ability to influence people. Well, you know, I'm just like a country person. I can just see Timothy going, nah, I'm just a kid. Uh, I saw a deal this week, and I, I, I wish I could get the clip. Um, and I wish I could even remember the kid's name now. I can't. But it's about a little kid. And uh, if I can find the clip, I will, I will put this in the link this week on the email that I sent out. There's this little kid out in California. He... In this store, he set up a cardboard arcade. Anybody seen this thing? This kid sets up a cardboard arcade with little things where you take these little balls and stuff like that. And then he charges money. He charges so much like a penny per game or you could buy a a pass, an all-day pass to play his games. Some guy stopped by. He he sits there all day waiting for somebody to stop by. Some some guy stopped by and thought, I'm going to encourage the kid. I'm going to play it. He plays this kid's game. When he wins, this kid crawls into a box on, on, at the game and starts pushing out tickets for this guy to win tickets to get a prize. And the prize is all like his matchbox toys that he's collected, and you can get so many tickets and you can win the matchbox toy. So this guy, he, he was a film guy, he's a documentary kind of film guy. He thought this is like the coolest thing in the world. So he went and he talked to the owner, and the owner says, you know what, he, he sits there all day long trying to get people to play this game. And this guy thought, you know what, this is like too good. So he organized a flash mob deal. The guy takes his kid out for pizza, brings him back, and there are people lined up at this kid's arcade to play. <clears throat> they decide to start a scholarship for this kid. This thing goes viral. On the internet thing. 
Out of this comes an organization. His college now is now paid for because he has raised so much money through this thing. And he is now using it to encourage other kids to pursue their dreams. And there's some little kid who took a bunch of pieces of cardboard and cut them up and thought, I'm going to do something. And some guy who came along and said, I'm going to tell a story. Don't tell me you can't impact and influence people. This thing has, and by the way, this thing has gone worldwide. They actually have a cardboard contest now in other countries for other kids to do this. And it's taken off. Why? Because one little kid said, I can make a difference in the world I'm in. And now, he's not only impacted his life, but the lives of hundreds of other kids. I want to challenge you, don't minimize what God can do in your life. Let God use you this week. Be sensitive to that. If you're a mom, man, what an opportunity you've got. If you're not a mom, man, what an opportunity you've got. Why? Because God wants to use us. Let's take the gifts, the talents, the things that we begin, the legacies that we begin, and build something great on them. Because that's what God wants to do. He takes great delight in that. So let's let him do it. So this week, may each of us show the world a faith that's real, that's practical, that's genuine. And may we establish a legacy that lasts far beyond us. Because God desires to do that in each of our lives. And he challenges, Paul challenges Timothy. You take what you've been given and you build something great on it. And you know what? Timothy does. And he doesn't disappoint.